You can have a seat extra long, uh, greet your neighbor time, and you guys carried the conversation. Good job in taking that challenge to create community already. Hey, happy baptism day. We are excited to be here, right? And happy Mother's Day. I know Andrew already said something. I, I just got to say this. I, I actually already, one of the first things I did was fail this morning when I got up because one of my goals um, for Mother's Day is that my wife would never have to cook on Mother's Day. And I got up this morning and things got crazy and I got scatterbrained and forgot some stuff. And I already failed because my wife had to cook breakfast for our kids. And so I need some grace today, but I think it's still going to be a good day. Um, and if you're new here today, we are excited that you're here. I think it's a good day to show up because today is a celebration for us. It's going to be like a, a party for us. And we are celebrating that we're going to celebrate with some individuals who are going to get dunked down into the water, uh, that their lives have been radically transformed by Jesus. It's going to be pretty fun to hear some stories. And not only that, but we are celebrating the fact that we have a God who has the power and the desire to actually change lives. Like Jesus actually changes lives and that's amazing news and a lot of us have personally been touched by that. So it's going to be exciting to hear some stories in a little bit. And as I was thinking, I wanted to share something uh, that just kind of stuck out to me. Earlier this week, I stumbled upon this video online. It was one of those tearjerker type videos that you watch, you get sucked in and all of a sudden you're like crying by it, whatever. And hopefully I don't cry now because it's going to be awkward. But What happened was, is I saw this video that was about um, the Oklahoma City bombing that happened, like in the mid-90s, and for you youngsters who who weren't alive then or don't remember, uh, there was a federal building in downtown Oklahoma City that got bombed, and like part of the building just came completely crumbling down. It was a tragic thing, made the news worldwide, and um, the story was of this off-duty police officer. And he was about two blocks away when this happened, and um, he actually heard and felt the rumble of this explosion from a couple blocks away. And he ran, uh, or he drove to the site, ran up, and there was this this, uh, rubble that was just like left everything in ruins. And as he approached the rubble, he heard whimpering underneath this rubble. And so he started digging through it, and uh, he found this... And when you get kids, all of a sudden these things kind of hit you in a crazy way. But he, uh, he found this little boy in there, and he pulled him out. I will be okay in just a second. <clears throat> and this, it was like a two-year-old boy, and he was in terrible shape. And he picked him up, and uh, the kid did not look good. He was bleeding tremendously. It actually showed footage of this on the video. And he was bleeding so bad that the officer was holding him really tightly to his chest because um, he didn't know if he was going to bleed out or not. And so he was holding him tightly, and he had him in his hand. And and as the story went on, it it kind of updated. It didn't show the progression, but it updated the fact that that through that officer's efforts that this boy was, was saved. And he was not only saved, but he made a full recovery. And, um, and as the, the TV does so well, they updated this story. Uh, they did a 20-year update on this, and they arranged for these two people to meet. 
And so they had this 20-something-year-old young man and this 50-something-year-old police officer, and they came into the same room, and even though they were strangers, they embraced like family. And as I watched this, it was this, I mean, you've probably seen stuff like this before, like a a survivor and a hero that get reunited. It's this amazing thing, and your heart goes out to both of them, right? You see this survivor, and your heart goes out to him because you're like, man, in no way should you be alive right now. Like, this is amazing. And so you, you have this sense of joy with, this, with this, this young man because his life has been changed and he should have died and, and he's been saved. And so this joy goes out to him. But at the same time, you have these emotions that flow out toward this hero, right? You see him and you're like, oh my goodness, what a courageous, amazing thing that you did. Without that, this person wouldn't be standing here. And you want to like stand up and give him a, give him a standing ovation, sing his praises and, and, and kind of tell the story to the world, kind of like I'm telling now. And my hope today is that this very thing happens as we celebrate these baptizees that are going under the water. The fact that, that, that our heart will go out to these people who are going under the water because, man, Jesus has gone into the mess of their lives and he has saved them. They shouldn't be alive in Jesus, but he sacrificially saved them. And so could we celebrate them with a sense of, of joy and relief because they have new life in Christ? But at the same time, could we not only celebrate them, but could our heart go out to Jesus? Because without him, none of this would be possible. He's the hero of today. And so could our eyes be fixed on Jesus because of his heroic act, all these people, many of us in this room were saved today. Could we sing his praises today? Could we talk about him? Could we give him a standing ovation today? If Jesus isn't here, we're not saved. If Jesus doesn't intervene, none of us could be baptized, if he doesn't reach down into the rubble of our sin-stricken and messed up lives, none of us would be alive in him. And so we've got a lot to celebrate today. And what I'd love to do this morning is to take us through one verse, Galatians 2.20. And and this verse describes uh, how our lives are completely revolved around Jesus. And what, uh, this is kind of interesting because the, over, a little over 10 years ago, the first sermon I ever preached, which was not good, it was scatterbrained, it was, it was pretty poor, but it was over the same passage. The first sermon I ever preached, and uh, the big idea for that sermon uh, was talking about Jesus, talking about the gospel, and the big idea was total help for total need. That Jesus provides total help for our total need. And so I'm going to steal the big idea from my own sermon from 10 years ago, just like that boy in the rubble had total need and he was totally helped. We are here today and we need the gospel, total help for total need. And so we're going to see that play out in two different ways in this passage, in the first half of the verse and then the second half of the verse. And in the first half, we're going to see that Jesus provides total help to save And the second half, we're going to see that he provides total help to grow. And so in the first half, it talks about how he has done a saving work in our life, only him. And in the second half, we're going to see how he helps us live and grow and flourish as Christians. And so we're going to look at this, um, and and my heart has has kind of been awakened as I've read these verses, if I studied this verse uh, today, and it's been kind of in a, in a sleepy place, and it's really woken up. And so my hope is, man, if you're in a place where you're like, you're kind of coasting, 
Maybe you think Jesus really doesn't feel like a big deal to you. Maybe Jesus feels boring to you right now. Your faith is kind of wavering. My hope is that Galatians 2.20 would wake your heart up this morning. We could sing the praises of Jesus. So so let's look at Galatians 2.20, at least the first half of the verse. And we're going to see how Jesus provides total help to save, okay? The first half of verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the Apostle Paul is is writing this letter, and and he's writing this verse to a young Galatian church that is under attack theologically, okay? There were these Jewish people uh, that were called the Judaizers, and they had come in attacking this young Christian Galatian church, and what they were telling them is, hey, you're Jesus, Jesus is good, Jesus is great, Jesus is a help to you guys, that's great, but, but if you want to be saved, you also have to be circumcised. Like, Jesus is good, but you have to add this onto it. It was essentially a Jesus plus formula. If you want to be saved, if you want to be in good standing with God, you can believe in Jesus, but you also have to be good enough. You also have to perform. You also have to do the the Jewish rituals that we tell you. In in particular, they were talking about the ritual of of circumcision. And then, only then, you could could be in. Now, Paul didn't buy this because this wasn't the gospel. But the deal was, the interesting part about it is, if anyone could prescribe to this brand of theology, it should be Paul. Maybe you remember if you've read in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul writes another letter to the Philippian church, and he says, if anyone could count themselves as good enough, if anyone should depend on their acts, on their pedigree, it should be me. He said, I'm the best of the best. I was born into the right family. I've been trained in the right way. I've, I've risen to the ranks uh, of the top of this Jewish religion. I'm, I follow the law ritually. I, I, I'm blameless before the law. Paul said, I'm the highest of the high. I'm the best of the best, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then after that, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. You see, the essence of the gospel is total help for total need. You don't work your way to Jesus. You don't climb the steps of getting better and better, nicer and nicer, until you finally make it to him. As a matter of fact, Galatians 2.20 says exactly the opposite. Any, Any resume that you've built for yourself to be accepted, any pursuit of self, any building up of self, that has to be crucified. And when you come to Christ, Jesus does crucify that. He's saying, look at the cross when Jesus was crucified. If you are in him, Paul's saying, I was crucified with him on that day. If you were in Christ, you were crucified with Jesus on that day. I was crucified with Jesus on that day. What exactly does that mean? Well, let me tell this quick story. So about three years ago, this might help us a little bit. About three years ago, I went to my doctor. Actually, it was a chiropractor, but he's this natural health guy. We're not going to get into that debate now. I'll just call him my doctor for now. And I basically laid it out, and I said, okay, here's the deal, man. I got crazy high anxiety. Um, I also have high cholesterol, the doctor told me. I also got a few pounds that I need to lose. And I'm not only on top of that, or on top of that, I also, like, I can't sleep. I wake up, like, 15 times a night. 
this is really happening like three years ago, and the doctors are, this doctor is like, okay, he asked me a bunch of questions, and at the end of it, he said, okay, Jared, here's the truth. He goes, you got to stop drinking Dr. Pepper. That's one. You got to stop, you got to stop eating all dairy products. He said, you got to stop eating grains. He said, you got to start taking all these supplements. You got to start drinking a gallon of water every day, and you got to stop consuming so much sugar. Providence, I was crucified that day as I was in his office. A part of me died as I realized all of my hopes and dreams in the food that I had lived were going to be gone. The old days of eating pizza and drinking Dr. Pepper were gone. The old days of of eating DQ blizzards at night, that was gone, except when I cheat every once in a while. But I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go to Jimmy John's, and I not only have to order an Unwitch, but I got to get it without cheese. Like, this is bad news. But... For the most part, I started following what he says, and actually, for the first time since fourth grade, I actually slept through the night, and my anxiety started to go down, and my cholesterol numbers started to go down. My chiropractor had to kill what I thought was good in order to give me a new kind of life. You see, this idea of being crucified uh, isn't just making some minor adjustments to make you a little bit better. It's a completely change of life. And honestly, going from eating fast food and soda to, to eating paleo is just a small, small, small glimpse of what it looks like to be crucified in Christ. He makes you someone completely new. To be crucified means that by faith, Jesus' crucifixion becomes my crucifixion. That through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, when we place our faith in him, Jesus' life is now our life. His death is now our death. His resurrection is now our resurrection. We inherit Jesus' perfect righteousness, his perfect performance, that becomes ours. And now this new life in Jesus is all because Jesus' life is living out in you. That's how you become saved, to be crucified to self. But for some reason, this is incredibly hard for us to grasp that Jesus and Jesus alone is good enough. Much like the Judaizers were trying to get these Galatian Christians to go back to the old way. No, 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 not Jesus alone. You've got to also do this, do this, and and do that. We have a, a temptation in ourselves to go back to that old way, don't we? Like our, our sinful hearts and our culture tells us that we got to perform, 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 perform. And we may say, Jesus alone, but what we function like on a day-to-day basis is actually a lot of times different than that. I know for a lot of us, we wake up every morning like we're on trial, like we have to perform in order to be accepted by others, by God, and this is why for me, unfortunately, on Saturday nights before I preach, my mind goes to this place every single time, man, tomorrow, am I going to be good enough on stage? 
And for me, when I have meetings with people on our staff or our meetings with people in the church, I walk in and walk out of those meetings thinking, do I have what it takes to cut it as a pastor? Am I doing good enough as a supervisor? It's the same thing when I lay my kids down at night. Man, am I, am I okay as a dad? Am I doing enough or with Christian disciplines, am I, am I praying enough to cut it? Am I reading my Bible enough to cut it? But Galatians 2.20, it says, we have died and our new resume is Jesus' resume. Christians, we're not on trial. Jesus got put on trial for us. He took our junk, he took our best and our worst, and he gave us his perfection. So we can relax. We can quit running the treadmill of Christian performance like we have to earn it. We can quit running the treadmill of trying to be the perfect mother or the perfect father. We can quit running the treadmill of trying to be the perfect student, to try to be the perfect employee to climb the ladder. We can quit running that treadmill and relax because Jesus has performed for you and you are completely and totally loved by God because of Jesus' performance. By the way, I'm not saying to be lazy and terrible everything. Don't go home and, and tell your mom that, that Jared, your pastor, said that it was okay that you got D's on all your finals. That's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying you can try hard, but you are not on trial for those things. That when God looks down at you from heaven, when he looks down at you, he sees the perfect performance of Christ. I think I need to to maybe hear that again, that when Almighty God looks down at you, he doesn't see all of your flaws that you maybe dwell on. He sees the perfection of Jesus. You know, the flip side of this coin, that's also such good news. It's not just that, that our performance that he crucified, it's not just what we try to do to be so good. It's not our good things, but it's also the worst of the worst. It's that when we were crucified, the the sins, the mistakes, the failures that seemed to plague us over and over. It's the things that, that, that seemed to define us. Those things were crucified too. That's your old self. Jesus died for that. And so that thing or that event or, or, or that thought, that, that, you, that guilt that you seem to dwell on, it's not being held against you. <clears throat> your sins died with Jesus when he died. You were crucified when he was crucified. And so the call from Jesus is to not try to return to the tomb of Jesus to try to dwell on and think on the things that we've done, the sins that we've done that have been wrong because newsflash, Jesus isn't in the grave anymore. He rose to victory over those things. And when he rose, if you are in him, you rose with him. And now his resurrection and his new life and his victory over sin is now your victory over sin. You have been cleansed and forgiven completely if you are in Christ. So the truest thing about you is Christ in you. It's not your job. It's not your motherhood. It's not your kids or your lack of kids. It's not your 
performance in school. It's not your social abilities. It's not your good looks. It's not your hobbies. The truest thing about you that can be said is that Christ is in you. I love what Martin Luther said about this. He says, by faith, you are so cemented to Christ that he and you are as one person which cannot be separated but remains attached to him forever. And this is our hope this morning. Total help for total need. So this is what we're going to celebrate in a little bit. We're going to be able to see people go under the water and, and, and represent this crucifying of self. When they go under the water, these people are proclaiming, hey, I've died to my old self. I've died to sin. That's being buried. And when they come out of the water, we're going to be celebrating the fact that Christ is in them now. Christ's perfection, Christ's righteousness is their righteousness. And when they come out of the water, we're going to hoop and holler and get excited because this is the best news that anyone could ever know, that Christ is in them. They are dead to sin and alive to Christ. This is total help for total need to save us. Now, here's where the verse takes us from there in the second half. We saw that the, that the gospel is total help to save. Now we're going to see that it's total help to grow or to live our Christian life. And so I want to read the second half of, of Galatians 2.20 because this is going to tell us how to live and how to grow as we walk out these doors uh, and live our lives later this week. The second half of the verse, it says, And the life I live, or I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul in this verse is telling us how to live or how to grow in the Christian life, but there's this paradox in this verse, okay? Because at first he tells us how to live, but then he basically says, but you can't do it yourself. So this is how you live, but you can't do it. We have to live by faith in the Son of God. We have to live by faith in Jesus. In other words, if you are a Christian, you will never get to the point in your life where you graduate from grace. You'll never get to the point where you stop needing Jesus. So if you find yourself saying, man, I, I, I really got this devotional life thing figured out. Like my time with Jesus is, is like perfect, you know. Or, or, you know, I really figured out how to, to love people. I really feel like I embrace every aspect of, of Jesus' love, you know. Or uh, I, uh, I really grasped and perfected how to, to understand and teach the Bible. I just, I just have it figured out. The minute you, you catch yourself coasting like this in the Christian life is the minute you are not living by faith in the Son of God, as this verse says. I love what Pastor Ray Ortland says about Galatians 2.20. He says, we're always living on welfare in God's economy. We're always living on welfare in God's economy. God needs to hand us grace upon grace, day after day, minute by minute, to love people, to forgive people, to gain any sort of godly wisdom, to, 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 to move toward people in reconciliation, for any kind of godly discernment. All of that is Christ in us. So this phrase, living by faith in the Son of God, as it says in the verse, is tapping into the fact that Christ is in you and the fact that he's trying to extend his power and his grace through each minute of each day. And faith is the receiving of this grace and moving toward obedience. 
I think we need to be reminded of this, that this is what Jesus is trying to do. This is what Christ in us is trying to do, that when you wake up tomorrow morning and it's quiet and it's dark and you're brushing your teeth, Christ is in you. When you sit down at at your desk or sit down at your class and you're going through your normal mundane schedule, the truth is, is that Christ is in you. For some of you uh, mothers who have little ones, when it's the middle of the afternoon and life is a hot mess and you're mumbling bad things under your breath and your kids are running around, all you hear is screams and yells and cries and no one has clothes on, just diapers, and they're all running around. The fact is, is that Christ is in you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to restore you. And he's trying to lead you. So, so what exactly do we do? What's the, what's the next step from this? Uh, I want to suggest a couple things as just like applications from this. The first one is believe that what God says is best. And the second thing is believe that what God says is true, okay? So believe that what God says is best. Here's what I mean by that. So if you're walking into a coffee shop and you walk in there and Christ in you is seemingly compelling you to go talk to someone, you may not even know why, you should go and do it because what Christ says is best. So go pursue that conversation. Or if you have someone in your life that you know you need to forgive and you feel compelled or convicted to go move toward that, then then you should go start moving toward that person because what Christ in you is leading you to do is best. Or maybe if you're someone who feels like right now you're kind of living in, in isolation and you really, and God is pressing you toward community. Jesus seems to be pushing you in toward people, toward vulnerability, toward authenticity, then you should do that because Christ in you is trying to help you live in a way that's best. Believe that what God says is best. The second thing is that believe is to believe that what God says is true. So many times uh, we're tempted to compare ourselves to others. We're crippled and we resort back to this performance mindset. Do I measure up? Am I good enough? Am I cutting it? I have this thought as a pastor, as a, a parent, as a spouse. You may have this thought as a student, as, a, as just a, a, a human being trying to be accepted in this world. And as you find yourself trying to perform, believe that you have been crucified and the real you is Christ in you. The real you is the perfected righteousness of Christ in you. And so when insecurity strikes, when comparison hits, when you feel shame or guilt, the call is to get your eyes off yourself and lift your eyes to Jesus, the one who crucified, who you were crucified with, the one who now lives inside of you and has given you a completely new identity. Believe what God says is true. Man, this morning, we have a chance to celebrate because we have heard from Galatians 2.20 that becoming a Christian is all about what Jesus has done and growing as a Christian is all about what Jesus has done. And we have a couple people here that are a part of our Providence family that have said, hey, I want to put my stake in the ground and and I want to tell people I am completely and utterly dependent on Jesus for salvation, for life, for growth, for whatever, 
And it's an exciting thing that we get to celebrate with them that Jesus has, has dug down into the rubble of their lives and he has saved them and they're going to publicly declare as they go down into this water that, that their old self has died. And if there's one thing that's true about them now, they want to proclaim that Christ in them is the ultimate truth that they want us to know. And so um, instead of me continuing to talk, uh, I thought it would be fun to be able to hear uh, a story uh, of the life of one of the guys who's getting baptized here. And so I want to invite up Alex, because Alex is going to share a little bit about how Christ has changed him, how he has been crucified, and how he has come alive to Christ in him. And so, hey, could you guys give it up for Alex as he comes up here? Um, yeah, so my name is Alex Schultz. Um, I'm 24 years old and originally from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, was brought down here to Omaha. Just unbelievable how God works sometimes. Uh, was brought down here for school um, and uh, just kind of going back to just my childhood. Um, I was baptized as a baby and grew up in a Lutheran church and uh, Growing up um, in our family, it was just, weekends were just full of activities and just traveling and uh, going to church almost seemed kind of like a checklist sort of thing, you know, going, especially going during holidays and whenever we were actually in town, we would make a habit of going and, but it just really felt like a checklist sort of thing and I remember growing up, uh, going through confirmation, just, okay, like I'm going to go like fill out this sheet and, you know, hand it in and that was just the extent of my life in a church and never really had a faith of my own and really didn't even understand the magnitude of what of what a church and what Christ does for us. And so fast forward, uh, you know, into my young adult uh, days, uh, went through high school, just living a self-led life and came down here to college and uh, same thing, just my freshman year, just really was uh, doing my own thing, uh, just living up the college life I was known to or had heard and and just doing really doing my own thing had a couple really good uh mentors and just people that were around me that knew who Christ was and and they just had started to plant seeds in me and just invite me to uh team bible studies and uh had really just was brought in by the free food of the bible studies and started going and uh you know, so God works for sure. And uh, so it was, was just kind of starting to become more curious and just really felt um, what a lot of college students and a lot of college athletes feel is just um, just a void um, in their life and just that nothing really can fulfill that. Um, and so, yeah, I'd fast forward into my freshman year, had started to become more cur- curious about everything, but uh, then into my sophomore year, just life happens and some really hard circumstances were coming up um, in, in my family and in my extended family, and uh, just really wrestling with just who God is and if, what's really happening, if he really is in, in control. Um, and then, so I'm you know at a, at a college party on a Saturday night, and my uh, now wife, who we weren't even friends at the point, uh, you know, mustered up the courage to say, hey, you want to come to church with me and a group of other athletes and a group of friends? And yeah, I I guess I said yes, and next next morning I was I was on my way to church and was hearing that message of just an amazing message of 
forgiveness and letting go and just grace. And I sat there and bowed my head and, and accepted Christ in that moment into my life. And from there on, it's been a journey of about four years of really going from a non-believer um, to having this found grace and truth and trust in Christ. And so that brings us, uh, you know, to this day of where, you know, God is so good that I can't even, you know, go back to how many things have been placed in my life to lead up to this day. Um, you know, a little over a year ago, my wife and I got married and, and had a Christ-centered a wedding, and it was just an amazing just testimony of what he's done in our lives. Um, and then also, you know, just a few months ago, we welcomed our uh, first addition to our family, our son, and just so, so amazing just to see God move through the growth of our family. And uh, as we were sitting down, uh, uh, you know, a few weeks ago at an anniversary dinner, we were just like, wow, like, you know, we, we both are at this point of just, you know, especially me, like I, this is, you know, my decision. I want to be, I want to publicly proclaim that Christ uh, has renewed my life and that he is the Lord of my life. And so that's, that's what brings us here today that, uh, you know, um, was baptized as a baby, but this is, you know, my decision, my personal, you know, conscious decision that this is, you know, the life I'm going to live and it's going to be led by Christ. So that's what brings us here. Yeah. Yeah.